Hey guys, this is Scaring is Sharing. It is the place where we share our scares with each other and you. And this is your friend, Jeremy Rusk, and I'm staring over Zoom at the beautiful Brandy Joe Planbeck. Hello, Jeremy. Oh, it's so good to stare at you as well. Hello, Brandy Joe. <laughs> It'll be so cool someday when we can like do this in the same room. Maybe even watch the movies together. That was sort of my original thought with the podcast was that we would like hang out in a day and do this. Yeah, that's kind of like my dream is we can be in a studio, watch the movies. Because there are movies that I've omitted from like the list for now. Uh, because I have more than a few like B movies or like cultier, weirder shit that I'm like, I can't just let you watch it alone because <laughs> the, the impact is just not the same. Like, you know what I mean? There's certain yeah. movies uh, that you have to see with other people. So there's some sure. engagement and some fun going on. Cause if you just sit there and watch it by yourself, you're like, well, this is bad. Like, why am I watching this? And I feel like we could do like, breaks along the way with the movie and like have a pause halfway through and be like all right what are your thoughts so far and yeah like, che like check in points i think uh, that that it could be a little different yeah absolutely like thinking about last week i feel like tetsuo might have been a movie that would have been much better to watch <laughs> together and to have made fun of and whatnot together for sure as opposed yeah. to just sitting there alone like uh, this is just hurting my brain and like <laughs> I have no one to talk to about this thing. So true. And I know we've sort of talked about our list. I don't remember. It's been a while now. I mean, we're, this is um, episode nine. So, it, you know, my, my memory's a little hazy, but like we've created these lists where we wrote down a bunch of movies we love. And then each of us sort of looked at each other's lists and like said, these ones I've not seen. And we sort of highlight them saying like, these are possible things we can talk about. So every mm -hmm. week we kind of go back to them um, and we say like, Ooh, what are we going to do this week? Um, so if you're wondering if you're coming in late to the series and you're wondering what these lists are we speak of well that's what they are the lists mm -hmm. the master the master lists that we're constantly editing and that's right adding to and changing yeah um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh so uh you know it, it was fun too uh with the new episode the last episode speaking of tetsuo again uh i did like that we posted that and got a little bit of engagement from some people especially talking about tetsuo because that is a movie uh that i guess people have opinions about um, I, I mean how can you not how can it you is not? not a movie you do not <laughs> feel one way or another you definitely have, have some strong feelings absolutely and like i said on there too like reading people commenting on it i was like i kind of want to watch it again <laughs> i want to i'm going to put myself through that and, so did you not rewatch it going into last week no, I rewatched it, but now but you want to watch it. it again. I want to watch it again you're, you're this crazy. close after. Yeah, I'm insane. You are crazy. Yep. I, and I that wanna... is why I love you. <laughs> I don't know why, but people, people's comments got me a little excited <laughs> to be like, I need to see this. Let me watch this shit again. And you know what? If you are out there listening, A, thank you so much. We are so appreciative. And B, please engage with us. We love that. I mean, I, we don't care whether it's good, bad, ugly beautiful like hit us up on the instagram scaring is sharing shoot us an email scaring is sharing at gmail.com rate us like us review us tell us what you think we want to know and we're not gonna shut the fuck up about it so <laughs> that's fucking right, right in talk to us god damn it <laughs> uh i do have a corrections corner oh is it on me what did i do it's on me oh, after okay. listening to last week's episode in the beginning we talked about killer clowns from outer space uh and the 
Chiodo brothers, Chiodo. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't remember how to say their name. Uh, they're from New York. Okay. Not from and, Michigan. And this is what happened. I figured out why I was thinking like, why is there a Michigan connection in my brain? There is a hardcore band, uh, called Chiodos. They named themselves after the brothers. They're from Michigan. Got it. Well, that, that makes that's an easy way to get it confused. That's how I got it confused. There is a band uh, from Michigan that used their name. Uh, okay. And that's what I was thinking of. They were big like when I was in high school. So that's probably how they got stuck in there as like, oh, Michigan connection to that. But the actual guys themselves are from like, you know, New York City, like area. Okay. So uh, yeah. Well, don't do it again. I'll try not to. <laughs> We're gonna. I, 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 I've, I've heard some other things I should have corrected re-listening to episodes that I'm like, I keep forgetting about. So now I can't even remember anymore. But I say a lot of wrong <laughs> shit, people. That's what I'm realizing. You know what? It happens. That is life. I think the important thing is to to understand that it does happen. Correct yourself when you can. And, you know, and just learn from our mistakes. Learn. <laughs> learn. Uh, have you uh, watched anything? I sure the fuck have. Um, I've watched a few scary things since we last spoke. Um, I finally watched the Netflix film His House, mm. which is all the rage as of recently. And what it is... was a siaged. It's like a very unique haunted house movie and mm. just fantastic. Who stars a, in that? One of the best. It's um, a, a bunch of people I'm not familiar with. It oh, okay. is a very different sort of story. You know what? I think we'll talk about it on here someday, so I'm not going to go deep into it. I'll have to learn how to say a lot of their names because they are sure, sure. unique um, unique names. But cool, it cool. is a fantastic film. Loved it. And also, let's see, I watched Run, the Hulu movie that was put off. It was all, supposed to come out Mother's Day with Sarah Paulson. All the rage. All the rage again. Um, it was pretty good. Um, had sort of some hints of misery and also uh the gypsy rose blanchard case sure with, you know with the girl yeah. her mom and the um i watched the documentary about that so. okay well you should also check out the act on hulu it is like the i think i've seen the series i saw one episode okay of it so, so I, I should go back to it but i did watch the documentary okay yeah mommy dead and dearest that yeah. one yeah, yeah something like that yeah i, I think it was a also different one it was also on Hulu. There was a documentary oh, that was also okay. on Hulu, like in tandem with the the series. So. Okay. Mommy, Dead and Dearest, I think is an HBO mm. documentary. Mm -hmm. So I think I watched the one you're talking about as well. Yep. Um, fascinating case. And the movie definitely has vibes of that. Mm -hmm. It was also really cool because the lead, one of the lead girl in it is in a wheelchair in the movie. And they used a girl who actually is in a wheelchair, which I really appreciate. Just like we talked about with with Relic, how they used uh, a boy with Down syndrome for the character. Like, I just appreciate, and it is sort of, you know, the thing that's being done more and more these days is to use people who are actually right for the roles and not to just use someone and say they're acting and they're pretending to be, you know, they're yeah. acting like they have a disability. Is that not the correct word? I'm trying to remember. There's- I don't know anymore. Okay, well, Sorry. please correct if, us if we are. But yeah, I, somebody I, please correct us. We want to know. I feel like disability is not the correct word right now. So if you know, please let us know. Differently abled? Is that still? That might be it. Is that even a thing? Or is that okay. also not correct anymore? I don't. Because I want to be correct as we're talking yes. about corrections. We want, we want to be correct in corrections corner. But it was really cool that um, they used an actress in a wheelchair because it's just, it, it was a fascinating thing to to watch knowing that aspect mm -hmm. absolutely so what do you call that 
like authentic casting? I'm trying to think like, what is there a you phrase know, there for that? Probably is a term and that I like that. Yeah. Authentic <laughs> casting. That's I like what I would casting. intuitively want to want to call it. But uh, yeah, I wonder, is there a phrase for that? And it's an interesting topic because like as a gay man, I personally am not upset when a straight person plays gay, um, plays a gay character. I, there often is some interesting topics when like uh, for the Oscars, I think it was the year of, um, I know as good as it gets and I can't remember. Oh, I think my best friend's wedding and Gray Kinnear was nominated for supporting actor for as good as it gets a straight man playing a gay man. But Rupert Everett, who is playing, who is a gay man playing a gay character did not get nominated. And mm. there was just some hubbub about that. And like, of like that the straight person is usually the one who's recognized for playing a gay character. And I don't, I don't care. I, I, I personally am like, I feel like when it comes to sexuality, at least mm-hmm. I personally don't have the feeling that you should cast a gay person in the gay role all the time. I think mm-hmm. it can bring something to it with the person having the authentic experiences. Um, but when it comes to things like disabilities, I really think it's wonderful when people who have that authentic experience can bring that to a role. You know, in mentioning the uh, the sexuality aspect, it was a little while back, I remember that um, uh, Wentworth Miller uh, mm-hmm. from Prison Break, and oh, yeah. the Flash oh, yeah. TV series. Yeah. Yet he's, I mean, he is a gay man um, and he is no longer going to play he says explicitly like straight roles like if the role is of a straight because he's played straight a bunch of i, I sure. think i think in prison break he's playing straight i yeah i don't think he was out yet uh but he he says he's not going if he's given a role that you know it is straight uh he, he's not going to take those roles and anymore. that's interesting because i don't want to just play gay characters so like if i want to be able to play a straight character like, mm-hmm. it's the same. I feel like a, a straight person should be able to play a gay person. When it comes to that sort of thing, I'm like, whoever brings the best to the role is the one who should get it. Yeah, I feel like if it's done not exploitatively. And sexuality is not a disability. And maybe that's where, like, the difference yeah, is. and that's where the difference lies. But it's just the thing that I think about, like, from my own personal yeah. experiences. Because I also think of uh, what, what Christopher Maloney uh-huh. Uh, who is straight, but has played, you know, some iconic uh, gay roles um, and has gotten a lot of acclaim for that. So I think he does it in a way that's, you know, uh, authentic. And he is one of the hottest men ever in the world, ever. <laughs> He's a beautiful man. <laughs> I, I, I have uh, been saying I've noticed a trend. Do you do like the... Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of daddies uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think I believe right. is is the phrase Bruce Willis last <laughs> week we were talking about yeah. a lot of guys that like you know they've been hot since they were younger but now they're you know, <laughs> they're seasoned uh, men now uh, and I think I think I got I think I got your number here I think you do and then sorry <laughs> I'll I'll go in a different topic last night I watched two films both which I thought were above average but not amazing. One was Scare Me, which is on Shudder. Friend of the podcast, Nico, has been telling me to watch it for a long time. And I tried once a month ago or so and I fell asleep. So I rewatched it last night. Um, and then I also watched Freaky, which is- Oh that, yeah, that new one. Yeah, by the guy who did Happy Death Day. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked both of them. Like I said, they were above average, but just neither one of them totally landed 100% for me. 
but both good flicks. I think each of them have camps where people really love them. Um, so I recommend checking both of those out for sure. Okay. What about you? What have you watched in the last week? I, I've been a little bit lazy uh, as far as horror goes. Uh, you know, it's tis the season, so I'm getting a lot of Christmas movies uh, in. Uh, I was thinking about, uh, I've, I've done now a couple of viewings because I fucking love this movie, Elf, uh, with Will Ferrell. Because um, it's, just, it's just fun. But I, I kept thinking about, there's on YouTube somewhere floating around, somebody recut it as if Elf was a horror movie. Yeah, I've seen that. Trailer, and that yeah. is just hysterical. So I keep, the scenes when he's like creepily looking around the corner where they use that with like ominous music and they're like, <laughs> he's crazy. Uh, that that fake trailer is fantastic. So. I love recut trailers. The real, the good ones. Yes, and that is a good one. If you've not seen it, look up Elf as a horror movie. I actually watched it a couple weeks ago, uh, and I forgot about it. Was uh, Abbott and Costello meet Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde? Uh, I had revisited that. It's on uh, Peacock right now because they have a bunch of the classic Universal monster movies on. There. I've never seen an Abbott and Costello film. I uh, I grew up with them, uh, okay. so I still think they're hysterical because they they were like a favorite of my mom's. Um, I think that Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is their best, and that's just like one of the funniest slapstick movies ever. And then they did a few more of these uh, meet different monsters, like Meet the Mummy is pretty funny. Uh, there's like Meet the Invisible Man. Meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde has Boris Karloff as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So that's good to watch. But that's, I'd say it's one of the lesser ones rewatching it. I'm like, there's some, there's a lot of time spent on just developing the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story. That's not funny, but not okay. also not, it's not particularly like, other than having Boris Karloff, it's not particularly memorable. <laughs> so not enough Abbott and Costello in that one. They're, they were more like side characters than the stars of that one for whatever reason. Okay. Uh, so that gets a, you know, if, if you're a completist, if somebody out there is an Abbott and Costello fan and needs to see all of the Meet the Monster movies, you know, watch it. But it's not uh, nearly as great as their other work. Uh, and I also revisited, I would say it's horror adjacent. Uh, and it's one of those movies that everyone, to this day, I look it up online, everyone has an opinion about, you know, it's one of those movies where it's either it's fine art or is it vile garbage? Uh, and, that, and that is A Clockwork Orange. One of I've my, not seen it. One of my personal favorites. Um, but I do know there's a lot of opinions out there that it is just a trash movie. Uh, really? See, I've, from what I know of people's opinions, it's a classic. Yeah, I mean, generally at this point, but there are still, you know, the the sexual violence. And I do know the singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Yeah, I've definitely se I've seen the movie up until a certain point, maybe yeah. just slightly past that. Um, and I was younger, and it did disturb me, and I didn't want to watch anymore. But I'm definitely. I mean, I've seen a Serbian film now, so I think that it's you know would not jar me to this day. I think you would be okay to go back <laughs> and rewatch it. But no, it's just, you know, it, it falls in line. I don't know what to call this category. There's this, there are these films that, uh, they're like that, where people are like, it's art or is it garbage? Because there's a lot of people that have opinions about it. Um, most recently, I can think of The Joker being an example of this that came out where sure. showing these angry, antisocial men, uh, a lot of people have, I'm not going to get on a soapbox here, you know, or, you know, 
come at me if you want, I guess. But I tend to like these movies. I don't know if that psychiatrist could probably tell you something about me where these uh, strongly antisocial, psychopathic characters have a draw to me uh, where I'm like, I find this fascinating uh, between, you know, Clockwork Orange, Taxi Driver, um, again, Joker, even Tetsuo, I feel, falls slightly into that category a little bit just something about these those types of films where i'm like this is this is utterly fascinating i feel like uh we even have the clip in nick kastriba's lovely uh theme music in the middle here about don't blame the movies sid yeah uh, and, and i think about that argument where some people seem to believe that these movies existing perpetuate violence whereas i'm not sure if it's just a mere uh, is, is this something, a sickness that somehow exists? And sorry to get really heavy and philosophical. Is there it's a this episode, that's, that's what's going on. Yeah. Is, is there a sickness within just modern society itself that we're dealing with that somehow, you know, these movies just hold a mirror up to you uh, and say, like, these things happen. Uh, and just because we don't want to talk about it or look at it or try and suppress anything that even talks about it, is that going to make it go away? Yeah, and I think it comes back to the person like watching these things. It's not Absolutely. like the movie makes these people do it per se. It could inspire certain people to, but anything could do that. A song, uh, uh, something they see in every singing day. Singing in the rain in Clockwork in... Orange. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could be anything and not necessarily even something that man, woman, person makes, but like just something that's out in the world can someone could see and uh, two animals fighting and it could inspire them to go do something horrible like it's it's just that's it's just life yeah absolutely and it makes me think too I, I haven't really talked about it much but another passion of mine of course related to horror is true crime uh i'm just you know absolutely since i was a, i think it had to do with my my uh my grandma was just so into like sherlock holmes edgar Allan poe and like murder mystery stuff uh okay. that she exposed me to that and then somewhere along the line that just, I, I have a distinct memory of my mom letting me watch this documentary on PBS as a kid about Jack the Ripper. Mm. Uh, and then from that point on, I was just like true crime. These, you know, I've read so much about serial killers. Uh, and of course it's just horror adjacent because what are half of you know, slasher movies are just variations on this theme. Um, so I think there's something too, and you know, and I'm not the only one because people are just obsessed with serial killers. Uh, at large and it's true and maniacs like this and i think there's something to the whole america loves a bad guy we really do uh and the outlaw you know i think it's just a modern variation on the the anti so uh because the old west i think of all you know billy the kid and these guys they all became famous and they were just murderers they were just you know psychopaths <laughs> and they all became famous legends uh so i think there's something to the idea of someone that just breaks all mores and commits taboos yeah we're fascinated with evil and with the darkness yeah. within like it is especially if you're someone who can't fathom that like mm -hmm. Like I, violence is something that just is not in my bones. Like I got punched once walking down the street when I was like in seventh grade mm -hmm. and the, just kids who did not know me just walked past me just being a bunch of assholes. And one of them just punched me in the face and like it scarred me. And it probably is one of the reasons like I have like a, a weirdness with like with men slash like straight people. Like it's just, there's just that fear of, um, of being disliked or I, I don't know, but like that sort of violence, like I just couldn't fathom like where that just comes from, no less 
having it within me. Like it's mm -hmm. just, it, it, it is fascinating. And I think it definitely propels my interest in both things, horror, as well as like true crime and serial killers and things like that. Now, changing gears, sorry to get all heavy on you guys. <laughs> if, if you have thoughts about any of this shit, but yeah, Clockwork Orange, I revisited that. I still love it. I love Stanley Kubrick. Like I'm, you know, I'm one of those film nerds. I'm endlessly fascinated by his filmography. Uh, and I can revisit, you know, many of his uh, flicks. Of course, you know, relating it to horror, you have The Shining as well. He did delve into, I would still say Clockwork Orange, I believe, is a horror film. I would call it one. Uh, as well as Eyes Wide Shut a little bit, his final movie, his final, sometimes maligned, sometimes called a misunderstood classic. I would throw that into the horror category as well. Horror adjacent. My, my friend Ben loves it because he loves Nicole Kidman, like worships her. Um, I've only seen The Shining. That's the only Kubrick film I've seen. Well, you know, we'd have to do like another podcast, I feel like, to, <laughs> for me to be able to slip in most of his movies. But yeah, check that out. But to change gears, guys, uh, something fun. I also watched Have Yourself a Misery Little Christmas. Oh, you did. Thank you. Brandy Joe's very own, do I call it a film? I don't know. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it's a filmed production with cinematic elements. Yeah, a, fil a filmed stage production. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was hilarious. Well, thanks for watching. We had fun with it. Fantastic work on that. Um, and of course, your, your husband, Joe Bailey. Uh, <laughs> he is endlessly hilarious to me. I will he watch is, him. Yeah. He's just so gifted. Uh, at delivering these high, yep. hilarious, hilarious lines. So funny. I do have to commend your, uh, your, your lo-fi special effects. <laughs> Using hot dogs and dolls. Yes, I, I loved it. It was very trauma of you. Uh, they, they have a habit of, because uh, I know you said you've never seen any of the trauma productions. Nope. Uh, but they have a habit of using just like being very self-aware about like, we know this isn't real. Uh, <laughs> like, and no one's going to believe this is a real, you know, person getting smashed or whatever, but they do it anyway. Uh, and, it's, it, and it's hilarious and fun. Yeah, we had a good time. At some point, I'm going to give you some trauma movies. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, I think. Some of the classics. But uh, yeah, have yourself a misery little Christmas. Look, find it, people. I'm plugging it for, <laughs> for my co-host right now. Look it well, up. Well, thanks um, for checking it out. For the month of December. I don't, where do you find it? Theringwald.com. Uh, and that's it for me, what I've been watching. Cool. Um, really. Hopefully, hopefully I'll get some more stuff in, in the next yeah. week. Oh, and let's, um, next week is our 10th episode, which, you know, is a little bit of a landmark. And we're going to have our very first guest on. Yes. And our that is very exciting. first guest. And it's going to be a good time, I yep. think. Lucas from Lego Horror Videos is going to be on, and we are so excited. He's, you know, coming from across across the waters, from, mm -hmm. from across England. Across the pond, as they across say. Across the pond, as they say. Thank you. And um, we're really excited. So please come back next week and um, check out that. It's going to be amazing to have him. I'm so excited. Hey, and speaking of trauma, oh. I just realized a little bit of news. Uh, that I heard in the past week, which is that uh, the much talked about, but often delayed, uh, I, I would say, I guess, mainstream Hollywood or closer to mainstream Hollywood remake of the Toxic Avenger is actually moving forward Yeah, uh, with, with uh, you know, a man that we are a fan of per our Murder Party episode, Macon Blair oh. is, is writing and directing. 
Okay. I didn't uh, realize that. I just saw the, the star news. Yeah, I didn't know that either until I started to read deeper into the article and they say like, you know, writer, director, Macon Blair. And I was like, oh, Macon Blair from uh, Murder Party and Jeremy Solner's work. Um, he also did direct a, uh, a movie uh, on, on Netflix with Elijah Wood. Uh, and I cannot remember the- Come to uh, Daddy? Not that one. Oh, uh, I want to watch that. that. That I heard was good. No, there's another one called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Okay. Uh, it's very similar to like, yeah, uh, in tone to like Murder Party and Blue okay. Ruin and those movies. Uh, it's it's weird and cool, I guess horror adjacent. Have you seen that one? I've not. It's very weird. Uh, maybe I'll throw it on the list. Um, but uh, yeah, Peter Dinklage has been announced as the Toxic Avenger. That's so um, exciting. Which is very exciting. It's a, and it's an entirely, uh, I would say, unexpected. Indeed, and he's uh, just such a. a but he's a actor. tremendous actor. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, very cool that they, I know he's got like a. Uh, he was in like a punk rock band. Oh. Uh, before he was an actor as a young man, and so he's got. I think he's probably a fan of trauma. He's probably got the pedigree to, you know, legit pedigree to come into something like that and have the attitude and the. Uh, uh, the right mindset to do it properly. And there's a musical, a Toxic Avenger musical that's supposedly very good. Um, it mm -hmm. seems right up our alley at the Ringwald, so maybe one day we'll do it, but I'll for sure have to watch the movie then. But that's the reason I watched Evil Dead because I was gonna, we were doing Evil Dead the musical. So of course I had to watch the movie and that sparked my love for it. So mm -hmm. yeah. maybe the same will hold true of the Toxic Avenger. Maybe. The first Toxic Avenger is uh, a favorite of mine, so. Uh, there was there were several others that are you know uh, of varying quality you know depending on who you ask some people love two three four you know you'll get a different answer as to everyone's feelings about them uh, okay. but the original the original is a stone cold classic in my mind so um, but yeah that's my news sweet what um, let's let's assign each other some some scares let's, let's do share it. so I'm first and this week I am giving you. 1999's Ravenous. Ooh, fun. Nico is going to be so excited. I think he loves that movie. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to spoil it to you, for you too here, is that this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Oh, wow. Okay. Period. Uh, and we're talking easily top 10, possibly top five of all time. Okay. So. That's uh, exciting. Yeah. So no pressure. If you don't. <laughs> If you don't like it, it's the end of the podcast. All right. All right. Well, maybe we won't even have Lucas on next week. <laughs> <laughs> but no. So what do you know about this movie? Anything? or So I, I feel like David Arquette's in it. I think it's from the late 90s is what I'm thinking in my head. Maybe mm -hmm. the early 2000s. 99. Oh, yeah. You just said that. Yep. Um, <laughs> and yes, David Arquette is in it. Okay. I think it takes place in like the olden times. <laughs> it's like a period movie of sorts. Um, and there's a group of guys that are, I know that there's snow, I think. Um, I think they eat each other. I think there's cannibalism. I don't know if it is straight up the Donner Party, but if not exactly, it is reference to. So I think this group of guys go on some sort of viking trip or something there's some sort of journey they're taking i feel like it's like an older like set in an olden times but 
I, I may be wrong. And I think they go on some sort of journey. I think they get lost. I think they're hungry. And I think that, you know, one by one, they eventually eat each other. <laughs> Not bad guesses. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's, I think, and I, you know, I think someone's going to come out on the other end. One person um, is going to survive it all and, you know, have, they have now have a taste for blood. Mm-hmm. and a body for sin mm-hmm. i think i i think based on your description you'll be pleasantly surprised by this movie. <laughs> um and yeah that's that's what i what i think i know of it but um maybe there's vampire maybe i'm totally wrong maybe there's vampires or werewolves or something <laughs> but i'm holding to my cannibalism like people who weren't cannibals originally they they are forced into cannibalism to survive okay <laughs> so well, i i think you'll have some fun yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it it is one that i've definitely been intrigued interested in watching although would not willingly by myself probably seek it out so and you, um, is david arquette the only one you know from the cast yeah off the top of your head okay i, I think there's gonna be lots of hot bearded guys though so i'm definitely looking forward to that well, it does. It there are stars in this. This movie has star power, so okay. I think it's fun that you can't remember who's in it because I think you'll be, you know, oh that guy and that guy. You know, I don't want to ruin it, but I think you will be pleasantly surprised by the star power. In so I'm going to throw out some other names that I think could be in it that maybe I remember, but maybe I don't. And you can't tell me if I'm right or wrong. Okay, okay. But I'm thinking maybe Willem Dafoe, although he seems pretty high profile. Maybe Guy Pierce. Um, I'm just throwing out those are the two names that like hit my mind as like possibilities but okay but i don't know that for sure very good um so yeah i'm looking forward to it okay very cool um for you i'm giving you a movie i've only seen once but i really liked so i'm definitely interested to see if i like it this time around and really interested to see if you like it uh, from 2014 and it's called starry eyes Mm. i have heard of this I know nothing about it. And it's also one of those movies where like the name doesn't give me any <laughs> like inclination. Uh, I heard it was, I remember it again. It's another one that was like a film festival darling. I think when it came out where people. I do it, like the film fest darlings usually. Yeah. It played at some film festivals and everyone's like, that's the greatest, but it's also fucking, you know, I feel like it's violent or disturbing or so, there's some thing that made it stand out where people are like, it's got some grossness in there. Um, I know the poster is like, I feel like it's a woman's face with like her eyes all fucked and like cut up with stars, like pentagrams maybe or something on there. I don't know. Uh, what is it about? I think it's about zombies. It's got something to do with undead or monsters or something in there. Uh, maybe I think I heard somewhere it's set in a hospital. I don't okay. know. Um, that's it. Zombies in a hospital. That's what I think it's about. I'm just gonna put together everything cool. I can think of. And based on the poster, I think there's some sort of satanic shit. Like the zombies are brought on by a satanic ritual or something like that. Cool. So that's there fun. you go. I'm committing to it. There's probably some knife violence Ooh. based on the cutting up of her eyes. I think there's gonna be some bladed weapons in play. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's it. And I don't know who's in it or who made it or anything, so. Cool, well, I'm excited. Okay, very cool. 
Well, we'll take a, a breather, watch yep. some flicks, and be back to talk about them real soon. See you guys in a minute. Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Hey, all you filthy animals. You little maniacs. We're back. You disgusting creatures. <laughs> we have returned. We have watched some movies. We sure the fuck have. We're starting off with Ravi. Oh, okay. I See, I was getting ready to talk about Five Goes West. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. All I know is the original. I think I watched the wrong movie. No. <laughs> but yeah, so we're starting off with Ravenous, my pick. Uh, the delightful family film about cannibalism. Um, <laughs> and so I'm going to read you all the letterbox description now. You are who you eat. Upon receiving reports of missing persons at Fort Spencer, a remote army outpost on the Western frontier, Captain John Boyd investigates. After arriving at his new post, Boyd and his regiment aid a wounded frontiersman who recounts a horrifying tale of a wagon train murdered by its supposed guide, a vicious US Army Colonel gone rogue. Fearing the worst, the regiment heads out into the wilderness to verify the gruesome details. They're a little bit wrong in some of those details. Like the beginning <laughs> is not accurate at all, uh, but whatever. Yeah, and it really is like, here's how like the first 20 minutes is, you know, it doesn't really go into Yeah, but also he, do he doesn't go there for because there's missing persons. He just gets assigned there so they can get rid of him. Yeah, so, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, ravenous. Uh, Ravioliness. What did you think? Go ahead. I, I loved this movie. Sorry, guys, I'm going to gush, so. I know you do. Um, I thought it was fine. Mm -hmm. I just, it's weird because I, I know that you said it's like one of your all-time favorites. I know friend of the podcast, Nico, really loves this movie. And so I guess I went into it not with like these high expectations. I'm not like that really. Like I don't let expectations ruin how I feel about a movie. I just never got very emotionally invested in it. I thought it was well done. I think there's some beautiful cinematography. I did love the music. I think the music was fantastic. I definitely want to talk about that too, the music. Um, but I just never got into it. I just, it just sort of happened in front of me. And I thought, that's a fine film. Yeah, I, like as far as characters went, I never, like John Boyd, I never was like, oh my gosh, don't turn into a cannibal, or oh my gosh, you drank blood, what's going to happen? Like, I just never cared much. But like I said, I thought it was fine. I was surprised it had a female director. Like, I thought that was really cool. And she, I think she died not too long after. She, yes, yep. Rest, yeah. rest in power, Antonio Bird. Uh, she yeah. died in 2013, I believe, a few years ago. My favorite character was Martha. I really liked Martha a lot. She was a very quiet energy, but I just, I loved her. Like she's the one I like had strong emotions toward. I also think Martha is the best character. <laughs> she's awesome. And I just, like I said, I don't know. It's so weird. I like on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a high audience score of 78 and the critic rating is 48%. Yes. And I tend to find myself liking the movies that have the higher critic score and the lower people score and mm -hmm. vice versa. Like I, I just like here it has this, like the audiences loved it. Lots of people I know have these strong feelings about how it's such a great movie. And I was just sort of meh. 
like I would watch this a hundred times before I'd ever watch Tetsuo again. Uh-huh. Um, I started to think about the fact that I love the movie Raw, and I don't think you've seen Raw. No. It's not the same, but there's similar elements to it, but it is from a female perspective. And I just was like, God, I really liked Raw, yet this movie I never felt anything for. And I just wondered if there was something with the, the, the male versus female story being told. Like, I just never got very into any of these characters to the fact that I, I cared. But like I said, I thought some of it, I thought was well done. I, I saw what the humor was doing, but I never like chuckled or smiled like, oh, you witty fuckers. Like that just never happened with me. And I love the idea of a good Wendigo story. So when like they went that route, I was surprised that that's what we were doing. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I always imagine the Wendigo is something totally different than what they're saying in this movie it is. So I don't know historically what is the correct Wendigo story. Um, but I was, I was like, oh, that's what we're doing here. It's not just about cannibalism. It's one, like if you eat a human and you are a human, you get these sort of superhuman powers and you're in a way a Wendigo. I always thought the Wendigo was like a, a creature that lived in the woods that wasn't w- at one point a human. But it's also being told from like a Native American in the movie. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, I'm like, is something being lost in translation here? Like, so yeah. So those are my overall feelings. A lot of them. <laughs> but um, I'm curious what you love about it so much and what you think about what I've just said. So it, I got a couple things in there because it's, you're hitting on points I do want to talk about. But this movie, it's funny too. Critics hated it when it came out. Uh, but for reasons that like, people love it now it's a weird thing like i think late 90s critics just this movie was an oddity at the time it came out i don't think they knew how to market it because if you watch trailers for this it looks like a standard like slasher movie from the time period or like something far more just generic horror uh and it really isn't um just not it's just a weird movie roger ebert gave it three out of four though so that's pretty good for him he liked it yeah Uh, he liked the weirdness of it when you read his old review for it um but this is a movie i caught it like on tv part of the audience score too i think is over time like this movie was obscure for year like years into the early 2000s and then it started to become this real cult like uh film um i do want to say it's funny that you remembered that guy pierce is in here but none of the other actors you tried to uh, david arquette because they used him in the marketing even though he's in and he has so little to do he's in like two scenes of the movie uh, I think yeah. it's just because he was riding high on Scream that they were like, we got him, let's put him in the marketing. Yep. This movie for me, the first time I saw it, I was like, that was weird. Uh, and then I just think I kind of put it aside. And then I remember one of my, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Damon, what's up? Uh, we talked about it one time. He was like, yeah, I know that movie, Ravenous. I love it. And I was like, you've seen that? And then somehow that sparked even, you know, a little bond over this movie happened between us. And then I just started, uh, just over time, it's, it's a movie that I keep rewatching and I like it more and more. It's, it's one of those grow on me movies. Like, I don't think I started loving it. It was just over time after I rewatched it more times, I started to love it more and more. And for me, it's a marriage of horror and history. I am a massive history nerd and the way they so, uh, it's it's really well, and I've seen other history nerd people say this is a movie that even though it's technically a fantasy horror film, uh, is actually a pretty good um, 
period piece for uh, you know costume design setting, like a tone, what they're trying to do with that period. 1840s California, everyone is where this is set uh, during the Mexican-American War or shortly thereafter the Mexican-American War. Um, so pre-Civil War. And I, I, there's just something about it. The tone. I, this time around watching it, I was thinking about how this is a movie. Uh, there's a lot of talking. And I realized I like movies that talk a lot. I like when there's lots of just weird dialogue back and forth. Uh, I kind of get lost in that. Um, especially when they're telling the story. There's a lot of tell and don't show, if you will, in this where other movies might cut in like a weird montage or something like that. Like when he's telling the story of the Wendigo, for example. But here they just let George talk and, you know, uh, and uh, the commander is, you know, translating uh, as best he can. And they do play that uh, Native American as some kind of chant, like an actual uh, recreation of some chant they did over that. Uh, I do want to point out too, I do really appreciate that both Martha and George uh, were played by actual Native American actors, uh, which is something that far too, to this day, still happens and it shouldn't when they have non-Native American actors playing Native American roles. It still goes on. Authentic casting. Yes, and I'm glad that they used actual uh, Native American actors for both those roles. Also, Martha's great. The only woman in the whole movie. She's also the only character that's not a total jackass. Like, everyone else is just really... They all have such huge character flaws, like varying. I mean, Boyd is a coward. And I think that's part of, I, I, I wonder if you're not necessarily supposed to be able to relate to Boyd. And I think that's part of what does it is because in movies we're used to the army man, you know, the army captain being a hero, a dashing hero. Uh, and sure he's dashing because it's Guy Pierce. He's a coward from the get go. Like how did he win that battle was by playing dead. But sometimes that's what you got to do. Well, then he drank the blood and he got Wendigo powers and didn't realize that's what happened. But then he tries to retreat back into his natural state. You know, when he has the confrontation with Ives Calhoun, Robert Carlyle's character, uh, like he's trying to run away. Like everything he does is not a man of action. <laughs> it's like all these cowardly uh, moments where he's trying to get away. He jumps off the cliff. It's not until he succumbs to the Wendigo like power that he actually uh, is able to do anything uh proactive uh there's a a lot of like little think pieces and i think even antonio bird said it i want to say it's on like the commentary on the dvd the ending the way they die together like laying on top of each other in that bear trap uh she had intended well she didn't write the script you know it was somebody else wrote it but she said reading the script and seeing these two characters and how they end up she thought there was a romantic tension there as well not just a um, between Boyd and Ives, not just the trying to kill each other. There was something more. Uh, and I actually found an interview blurb, had to have been from a few years ago with Robert Carlyle talking about this movie and that role. And he did say in his understanding, because the interviewer asked him, what about the sexuality that people have talked about in this movie? Uh, and he did say that he understood Ives' character as like, like not only might I want to eat him, I also want him like as a partner, as, you know, uh, in, in a sexual romantic, you know, partner in crime sense as well. And I thought that was an interesting uh, take uh, on what's going on there as well. It, the ending felt similar to the Iron Man to me. Yes. Like they 
both go at each other and then they sort of meld together yeah, in a in sense this yeah, last moment both and, become... and one of them's like let's do this together let's take on this world yeah and also this movie is wickedly funny and my sense of humor does like tie into this because i think a lot of people i think that's part of what through critics initially is many of them uh, thought this movie was just too dark and like didn't seem to like pick up on this movie thinks it's very funny like the writing like clearly it thinks it's being darkly humorous uh and i feel like if that's not what you're in because this is a very nihilistic movie that's what i was thinking watching it again it's very nihilistic but it's having a really good time being nihilistic like that's yeah i don't know i felt i think that that's the thing i think i felt sometimes like it was a little pretentious yes and i was like okay you're so full of yourself (laughs) which i do think it's funny too that they opened uh the first thing you see is a black screen with white text with a quote from frederick nietzsche uh like how much more pretentious does it get than that and then it's like eat me but then it says eat me you know famous (laughs) quote to anonymous so it's like okay so they're trying to be pretentious but also poking fun at their own pretension Um, and I also, I think that another reason that I didn't really connect with it is I don't gravitate towards historical pieces. Sure. If anything, I'm, I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to see that. And I'm sometimes pleasantly surprised once I do give in and watch something that takes place in the 1800s or whatever. But it's just as a rule, it's not something I, I want to watch or that I have interest in. I'm not, I'm a very much in the time now sort of person. So I think that that also plays a part in how, why I felt the way I did about this. Mm -hmm. Not to say I never like period pieces. Cause like I said, it's sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised and I'm like, it was, it's just like now it's just a different time and place and things, you know, it's the same stories just told in a different way. Yeah. Um, But there was just something. And like I said, I, I appreciated it. I wasn't like, this is a shit movie. I just, the, it just didn't, um, I just wasn't like along for the ride. I won't give up on you. Maybe one day you'll <laughs> want to revisit it and you'll have a different feeling. My favorite moment was when Jeremy Davids, Davies said, he was licking me. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love the follow-up line after that. Sick man outside when they uh, throw him out of the tent. There's a lot of little good lines in this movie. Like There are a lot of lines for sure. A lot of like very funny little things. Like when he's like, the gun doesn't work. And he's like, that's so annoying. It's so <laughs> annoying. Yeah. And I also like after Boyd jumps off the cliff and he's looking over and he does the like sound effect while he's watching it happen. And I've heard so many people talk about how gross it is and oh my God. Yeah, I don't think it's really that bad. It's not. No. I don't know if it was at one point and just based on how much we see these days, it's not. I think people are just uncomfortable with cannibalism. Like honestly. I mean, you know, as as they should be, but. Yeah, I think that hits, (laughs) I think that hits people really hard. Like I think that taboo, like just the, the innate like grossness of it like hits people hard but almost all of it that happens you don't see it's like you Mm -hmm. see a body torn open you see bodies with all the meat having been picked off the bones you see it in a stew you see the blood on his mouth after he licks him but not him actually licking him Mm -hmm. like you you see guy pierce like stab into his buddy but like you don't see him like take it out and eat it yeah like so i was surprised by how not gory it was compared to what I thought it was going to be based on the things I've heard. Yeah, I think it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre effect where like 
you think it is. You think it's so violent. And people to this day will even tell, people that have seen it remember it as more violent and more gruesome than it actually is. So I think that's, I think it, again, I think it's cannibalism. I think it's just the very concept and the, the, the idea is just so, you know. But yeah, the music too, before we get off track, I wanted to talk about the music that it's possibly my favorite film score of all time. Um, it's just so weird and good. Um, and of course it was, uh, it's Michael Nyman, uh, who is a film composer. You know, he works more in a classical mold. Um, but it, and it's Damon Alburn, who, if you're a music nerd like me, he was the front guy of Blur, the Britpop band Blur, uh, and is the mastermind of the Gorillas, uh, which he would go on to do just a couple years after the soundtrack, which I read a whole, th- I found an essay online because <laughs> talking about the pieces, like that main theme with whatever the hell he used, like an accordion or some kind of synth oh, or something. So cool. When you listen to that, which Damon Alburn composed, uh, and then I, I would say, listeners, go listen to the first Gorillas record again, uh, which came out, you know, a couple years after this movie. Uh, and you can hear that, like, he's carrying over the same, like, ideas. There are a lot of song sound textures and weird little flourishes throughout the gorilla's first record that you're like this sounds like it could have been on the ravenous soundtrack like clearly he was in a similar you know it was a transitional period he was moving into a new thing from being just you know the band that did you know that song to something a little weirder and artsier uh and just stranger yeah the score is very cool i really dug it i know i keep talking about him at friend of the podcast nico also said to me last night that it's probably one of the best horror movie scores of all time so and you just said one of the best film scores period so it's i have it on cd uh and you know i've listened to it many times so yeah so it is definitely good and it's just inspired sort of by the donner party right they don't even ever mention the donner party but it's like should like have taken place shortly after or timing wise do you know where donner party incident was during the winter of 1846 1847 exactly when this movie is supposed to be set okay roughly around then so yeah i I read that the screenwriter uh ted griffin who wrote this who i don't think has written any other horror movies it's like a lot of just dramas if i remember like oceans 11 matchstick men just a lot of dramas very interesting yeah yeah talky dramas so i can see where his flair for dialogue is present in all of those movies but uh, but yeah, he he had read something about the Donner Party, and that was just a little bit of background flavor to this. Apparently, it's more based on a Dashiell Hammett novel. Uh, the Thin Man um, oh. is what inspired him. Uh, I don't know anything. I'm sorry I'm coming into this totally naked here. I don't know what that book is about. I should have looked it up. And the one shot that I see often when this movie is referred to is that shot of... John Spencer, yes, when he's in the water. Oh, um, like that's uh, Neil McDonough. Neil, yes, yeah. that shot of him in the water, like looking like he's about to eat somebody. Yes, which is just a throwaway scene of just it's just a throwaway scene. But I thought it was going to be a huge part of the movie. No, like as soon as I saw that shot, I was like, oh, I've seen that shot so many times. Yep, it's just showing you that he's a hard ass, which is hilarious. Oh my god, yeah. and he is, and he's just gorgeous. Yeah, and he, uh, he was not that, uh, you know, like. Well known, I would say, when he made this, but he's a bigger star now. Um, yeah. Because definitely everybody has seen him on TV. He's done a few stints on some big TV series. And he's a bigger star. And it's funny to see the people. There was a weird convergence of 
people's careers in different directions in this movie. Um, Cause you have some people that weren't that famous then that are much more famous now and people that are, were famous then are a little less famous now. Like Jeffrey Jones, who's very problematic. Yes, like. I was wondering <laughs> if we were gonna get into that, but it's like- He's such yep, a creeper. Yep, his career just hit the skids for good reason. Yeah. For good reasons. For indeed. good reason. Um, you know, Robert Carlyle, I feel like this is around the golden point for him where he was decently big. Um, like Full Monty, I think, was right yeah, around this Full time. Full Monty, Train Spotting. Yeah. Uh, was shortly before this, I believe. So, like, he's not that he's, like, not famous or not, you know, but he's just not doing the same star power type things anymore, I think. Which, speaking of Robert Carlyle, too, that's why Antonia Bird, again, a woman directed this movie. I want to give props, uh, shout out to that because it's, that just doesn't happen enough. Um, I guess she came into the production because the first director, who I'm reading it, it's he, the guy's name uh, is escaping me. He's Macedonian born, New York based like art film director. Uh, he just could not cooperate with the producers and got fired after like the first week of production. Cause he like immediately went over schedule and over budget <laughs> and kept arguing with the producers. And it's the kind of thing where like, I found some quotes from him talking about this movie and you know, they're the, so I read them as just the day and age we live in now. I'm like, this is pretentious alpha male bullshit that he's like, uh, I can't compromise my art, blah, blah, blah. And I'm totally like, that's such a privileged, like, white man like thing to be like i'd rather be fired than just like do my fucking job and work like yeah. seriously dude uh and the rest of your filmography is just like i don't know what any of those things are so it's like good work um and then they tried to bring in another guy it's the dude that apparently uh directed home alone three and oh boy the scooby-doo movies uh, uh. and it said that the crew uh rebelled they mutinied the cast and crew. They refused to work with him and said, you have to find like a real director. Um, and so they got Antonio Bird uh, because she was good friends with Robert Carlyle, um, who if you look up this movie, like every interview, if you find a blurb of Robert Carlyle, he'll just talk about how Antonio Bird is a genius, uh, was a genius. So uh, definitely a lot of, a close working relationship there. I think they had a production company together. Um, hmm. And apparently she came in and did the, she prepped in a week and then shot the movie, which is insane for, especially something with an actual budget, like a Hollywood movie. She only did a week of prep work and then delivered this, which is like, okay, this should have been a train wreck, but she somehow made. I mean, she probably couldn't have had much more time because other people, two other people had already come in and done yeah, a lot exactly. of work, even though they like left it in sh shambles i'm sure yeah and she just did it and delivered a movie too that uh, everyone involved says this was her vision too like she came in and this is what she made and her work i'm not super familiar i know she's done a, several other she did several other like indie uh films that here or there were you know known but it looks like she did a lot of television uh, and maybe this is where the, that week of prep time, she's like, I did the EastEnders for like 20 episodes. Like I can just come in and shoot like soap opera. You know, she, she did a lot of British BBC like soap operas and stuff, just like tons of episodes. So pretty, pretty large body of work um, for a director that's not, you know, uh, 
talked about very much. I think, I think she, uh, yeah, definitely should be more in the conversation, especially for great women directors. That's right. I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. And it surprised me to find that out. Um, so I said it, it takes place during olden times. You're it's a period piece. Right. 1840s, you know. <laughs> and the people eat each other. I got that got right. That right. Um, there's a group of guys, a journey, or they get lost. No, that, that's sort of kind of true. Not yeah. the lost part. They're hungry and they eat each other. And the, the Wendigo. And the, I didn't say that, but I said vampires or werewolves. Yeah. It's something of a monster. Oh, I did, I did want to say, too, uh, your take on the Wendigo myth. You're both you're wrong or you're right and you're wrong on everything because <laughs> wendigo is a weird one where like it depends on the tribe because it's part of the the folkloric histories of various native american tribes in the great lakes region no less so watch out when you're out in the wilds of michigan because you could hear a wendigo out there because this is wendigo central like this area um but yeah some stories have it that it is it, it's just when a man gives in or when a person gives in to the um, uh, eating another person, because that was so taboo uh, that to do so is you've lost your humanity and clearly there's no redemption for you. I don't think that was so taboo. I think that is still. Oh, okay, taboo. still taboo, but <laughs> the, to the point where, uh, you know, these cultures uh, had stories to explain, you know, why don't do this because this is what's going to happen to you. Um, and then there's other versions where it literally is a monster. You know, it kind of, it's like we talked about with the ritual where it's kind of amorphous. It's a lot of things like uh, our, our English language just doesn't have enough, you know, we're not equipped with the proper terminology and ideas to be able to talk about it in the truest translation. I can see why watching that like sparked the interest of you sharing this movie with me this week. Oh, absolutely. But of course, like for what I like for, Maybe the reasons that it's a contemporary, like takes place in modern times. I, for some reason, connected with this group of guys way more than I connected with the guys in, in you know, in Ravenous. But I can see that they're interesting companion pieces. Oh, you know what? I also wanted to throw in there. So I uh, had a film class, a film theory class, where I presented this movie uh, for a presentation because we were, we were supposed to pick a movie I don't remember exactly what the theories were. It was something to do with, I think, using symbolism, movies that use symbolism and allegory for certain things. Uh, and of course, it's blatantly in this movie because it's just in the dialogue when uh, Robert Carlyle starts talking about Manifest Destiny, uh, you know, and that great American con historical concept of Manifest Destiny. And I was like, that's what the cannibalism is. That's what this movie on one level can be seen about. It's American history which is, you know, we went forth and cannibalized this country. We destroyed, sorry to get heavy guys. We destroyed the Native Americans and took the land. And what is that but the Wendigo story happening in real time, you know, to the, to the country around these people. Just taking more and more and more. That's what the Wendigo does. So that, that was, that's the, that's the allegorical, how I see this. This movie is about American history, period and is a fun horror movie <laughs> way of looking at it, I suppose. And it, you know, this is, watching this movie again too, if I was to program like a double feature, I do think the ritual would play good. They could be companion pieces to each other. I was For also, sure. I was also thinking about a non-horror movie, uh, Dead Man from the mid nineties, another like alternative Western. Um, it's got Johnny Depp in it, uh, pre, you know, Jack Sparrow 
uh, Johnny Depp when he still did weird indie movies. Um, but it's kind of similar where it's like sort of a Western because this movie is kind of a Western. Yeah. Um, where, yeah, Dead Man, it's sort of a Western. He just gets lost on this weird, like psychedelic, like kind of trip um, into the frontier, if you will. Uh, and, it, you know, it's Jim Jarmusch. It's weird. It's in black and white. Uh, it also uses Native American culture, but in a way that I, I, that was something I tried to look up. Does anyone think Ravenous is problematic? Uh, you know, cause you can run into weird territory when you're white people using, you know, Native American lore, but um, I didn't really find anything where anyone was really upset. I think part of that too is again, because they used actual Native American actors. Uh, they stayed pretty true to the lore. Like they didn't play too fast and loose with like mocking it or exploiting it, you know, in any way. So I think, I think that registers as good. Anyway, those are my asides. Only a couple. Only, I'm sorry. I have a lot to say about this movie. I know this. And you said earlier that I had a lot of opinions. I did. It. I have a shit. I talked for two minutes. You talked for 30. I talked for like 30 <laughs> fucking minutes about this. I'm sorry. But I know it's like one of your all-time favorites. So yeah, you'll, I get you'll it. have to forgive me. How many out of five backwoods cannibal men? <laughs> two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, How about you? I'm like, it's easily a four. That's it? I, I was thinking like, like one of your all time favorites. Do I give it a five? Four. I mean, it's not what movies are perfect. I'm going to give it a four and a half. Okay. Final answer. I was going to be quite shocked if it wasn't at least a four and a half. Four and a I half. Don't buy it. Let's give it a four okay. and a half. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's um, switch some gears. Mm-hmm. I like that phrase. Last week it worked really nice. Yeah, it did because there's fucking literal <laughs> gears in the movie. <laughs> these are both gear-free movies, as far as I can they tell. Are. They are. I'm sure there's some simple machines in these movies somewhere that have gears in them, but you know, the mind. Oh, the machine of the mind. Ooh, <laughs> imagination. <laughs> so the letterboxed review for Starry Eyes. A hopeful young starlet uncovers the ominous origins of the Hollywood elite and enters into a deadly agreement in exchange for fame and fortune. So after I watched this, I did read that letterbox description. And when it says the origins of the Hollywood elite, I was like, is that what the fuck they were going for? Like, I didn't read that in this movie at all. Yeah, I don't think that that's quite right. I mean, if that's what they're saying, it makes me have like a different attitude. Anyway, starry eyes. What to say about Starry Eyes. Um, this was a trip. I think I fucking hated the ending. Uh, <laughs> like the very ending or like the last act? The last act it went downhill fast for me. Um, this feels like three like different movies. They like sewed together in some Frankenstein manner. First off, I want to say lead character. The actress did a tremendous job. Um, and you know who she is, right? Uh, no, not at all. She played Wendy in Dr. Sleep. Oh, okay. I think I did read that and I didn't know who she was before seeing Dr. Sleep. So I was just like, oh, that actress did a good job of playing Shelley Duvall. Oh, she, was, she was so good. Um, I loved her in Dr. Sleep. Yeah. In this, she, was, she did a pretty good job, I think. I fucking hated her, the character. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I was sitting, I have a note written somewhere where I'm like, am I supposed to sympathize with her? Because I just don't from like the get go. And that's just because like, she's so fucking fake. You know, like she just wants to be famous. And to me, I don't know, that just hits me hard where I'm like, be nice to your fucking friends, girl. And like, 
you know, uh, the movie did this weird thing where like it started off where like the friends feel like real superficial. But then as the movie goes, I'm like, no, I think she's just fucking like got some issues because there's moments where they seem like they're genuinely trying to help her. They're just confused people too. Um, so I, I just, and every choice she makes is bad. Every choice. <laughs> I was screaming at the screen. Quit pulling out your hair. That I was like, when she blows that, uh, uh, when she blows the audition and starts pulling her hair out, I wrote down a note that just says, get a grip girl. Like what is <laughs> happening? Like get over it. There's going to be more auditions. <laughs> yeah. And then just as the movie goes, it becomes so clear that this is going to be a Faustian thing when she's got to blow the fucking producer what then explain to me in a really brief nutshell what faust is uh like a deal with the devil sort of thing yes faust okay. is the german you know I, what is it a poem a story a fable where the the alchemist sells his soul to the devil uh okay to perfect his you know techniques and that's literally you know i was like this guy's the devil clearly i mean the one so the first like hour of the movie i'm like it's slow burn it's a little weird a little cronenbergy at times because there's some when the body horror starts coming in uh but i felt like this movie could have said more maybe had more to say about hollywood being disgusting uh, I feel like watching this plays a little different because this movie was like right before the Weinstein shit all blew up. Um, and we're really like staring at, it, it, it almost feels like a horror movie kind of cheapens it when we're looking at the like, here's what really is happening. And like, you can just watch the news and read about like how just young people are exploited by this, you know, disgusting Hollywood machine or people in Hollywood. So that plays a little different, but you know, I was along for it. I was like, this movie could be going somewhere. It was just that weird transition into just being a slasher movie after she was like, okay, their, their point was to turn her into like a zombie killing person, like to or just go around and stab her friends. Like that was just a weird, I didn't know why they were going that way. And then it yet again switches gears and she's like reborn as a hairless lady <laughs> that I guess is like, now she's a Hollywood elite and she's, you know, a vessel for Satan. Uh, I guess um, that was a weird part too at the end. Cause I feel like in this day and age we live in, there's so much conspiracy theory and shit that like people straight out believe that literal Satanists run Hollywood, that this plays a little, you know, I was a little disappointed. Like, okay, that's where you're going. It's just Hollywood. Hollywood's run by Satanists. Like that's so in the ether now and real fucking people accept that as fact that I'm like, eh. Uh, but that's not the movie, you know, when the movie came out, that was years ago. It's not. Oh, and one other thing. I did try to watch this movie once before. Did you? The first like 10 minutes, handful of scenes were familiar to me. And I was like, I must've put this on and like fell asleep. I, I looked up the year and I'm like, okay, this was still like my drinking days. Like this was totally a movie where like, I was probably like pounding some beers and like threw it on and like passed out like to be blunt i've got a few movies like that like there's some years where it's a little bit hazy what i watched um and this is i think this was one of them back then but uh it's interesting to rediscover it and actually like okay this is what it is and um, you know who the directors are i have no idea i didn't even look well their names are kevin kolsch and dennis widmeyer mm -hmm. and you will not be shocked to know what they directed and how you feel about this and that movie what's that the remake 
a pet cemetery. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we saw that together and we both hated it. That movie fucking sucked. It really did. Really did. And like, and those two dudes, like I remember reading all the press stuff about like how great it was from them. And I'm like, fuck both of you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're stupid. Not movie. a fan. Um, so yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like, did they write this movie too? They did. Huh. It was like a, a big Kickstarter movie. Like they had tried to make some other movies and it had taken like six years. They tried to like get all this money and it just wasn't working. So one of them, Dennis Widmeyer, runs Chuck Polinick. Yeah. That's how you say yeah, name, Chuck right? Polinick. Yeah. Fight Club. He runs his website and manages yep, his social media. And they had done a documentary about him. And they were able to like sort of use his fan base that they really helped fund getting this movie going. And like the the lead actress, Alex Esso, and um, I think the cinematographer both sort of contacted the directors through like this Kickstarter fund to make this movie. Like it was a true, like it got its start from Kickstarter. Then some producers came on with like Dark Sky and then it sort of got some more money mm. from like some major, major studios. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dark Sky, Sky isn't a major studio, but it's, you know, definitely a decent size, like horror. Mid-level. Production company. Yeah, mid-level mid player. Yeah. Um, so it's just, that's all very interesting to me um, that they, that it was sort of like a, a grassroots sort of, like that's where it sort of came from initially yeah because these guys weren't really anything prior to this film yeah and it's debatable whether they are now yes <laughs> but yeah uh you know another stray thought i had too was um uh, well i hated the poster this was a movie like looking at the poster and then watching the movie i'm like the poster does not convey to me the actual feel of this movie well, which poster? The one where you see like the top half of her body or the one where you just see her eyes? The like one you where you just about? see her eyes and she's got the fucking pentagrams and you're like, it's very yeah. like torture porny looking uh, in a yeah, way. Yeah, because that doesn't happen with her eyes. I mean, no. she the, I like the poster better where it's like the top half of her body oh, yeah, like, yeah. writhing and it just like says starry eyes up above. Like I'm a big fan of that. You're like, what's going on with her? Yeah, because this movie has a very, like the title screen is a very like 70s looking when the title screen appears. It's just the yes. simple text. I mean, it gives you Love like that. the trademark. House of the Devil. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very 70s looking. So I was like, there's that. There's the synth score. Like I feel like yeah. they're going for that. But like the advertising material for this just fucking didn't grasp the point or like what, although I would debate they didn't grasp the point that they were going for, like the way the third act of the movie just becomes, and usually I'm excited for violence. You know me, like when the <laughs> violence finally happens, but I was like, this movie didn't feel like it earned that to just like do that change in gears. I don't know. I think I would have liked something that went more in the, you know, the weird eyes wide shut vein they were going with this cult and her transformation and stuff. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of the Neon Demon, which I'm a big fan of. Granted, I've only seen that movie one time, so <laughs> I was gonna I, bring I that to movie up. Uh, I fucking hated it when I saw it, <laughs> yeah, so I'm not surprised. Uh, and I wanted to love the Neon Demon because uh, I like Nicholas Winding Refn. That's who did that, correct? Uh, I'm not sure. It's gorgeous, though. Yeah, it looked great. Uh, yeah. It had Keanu Reeves, who I'm obsessed with, uh, in a supporting role, which is always fun. Um, you know, I wanted to like it, but I, I'm willing to revisit it someday 
Yeah, I want to rewatch it for sure. Someday we um, should have a dual viewing where we revisit the Neon Demon when we can meet together. All right, I'm I'm down. Put that down as a special, a scaring a shearing special episode. Oh, I like it. One of the big influences for both the actress as well as the directors was Possession, which I've never seen. It's a movie that I have seen scenes of. On, like her big like yeah. freak out with the milk. Yeah, I've seen the scenes on dubious websites because that's one of those movies that yeah. like you'll find that's it hosted on episode on uh, websites you're not, you know, you know, Pornhub or something like that where you're like, uh, why is this hosted here? Oh, because <laughs> fucking stickos and weirdos want to watch it. That's why. But yeah, I need to watch it. Um, I don't know that I'd like it, but I'm intrigued by it. So yeah, it's it's one of the. I think I saw a blurb from the directors of this movie saying that like they didn't like possession either but it was a movie that like people they respect likes and like that's how i feel is like possession is a movie where like all these filmmakers i think that are like super talented and amazing are all like possession's the best movie and you're like is it is it though <laughs> uh but you know and i definitely think that if you want to watch a movie about like dark hollywood that mulholland drive is the better way to go oh jesus christ yeah even though yeah. Mulholland Drive doesn't make any goddamn sense, but you know. It doesn't, but it's so cool. It's, um, yeah, David Lynch, man. That's... But the time review said if David Lynch and David Cronenberg came together to craft a gory psychological mind bender, it might be Starry Eyes. It might be. It might be Starry Eyes. <laughs> but you know what? Last week, uh, I read stuff, for last week's episode, I read stuff that said if David Cronenberg and David Lynch came together in Japan and made a movie, it might be Tetsuo <laughs> the Iron Man. So <laughs> it might be. And I read another review that referred to this as mumble gore, oh. which I, I forgot about that term. Yeah. I can't remember what I had read about, but I really like in general, like the mumble gore. I get into that, this sort of like hipster horror films, like that are kind of like think of, you know, fancy themselves that they're doing something kind of deep. Yeah. And um, so I kind of get into that. Wouldn't the creep movies be mumble gore? It might be. Because, I mean, I'm just thinking, because what's-his-face, uh, Duplass, that mm -hmm. stars in those. He's part of the mumble core movement in indie films. Mm. So, uh, I do love him. Him and his brother. Yeah. Pat Healy. Pat Healy, man. Uh, in this movie. Uh, oh. he, he was her boss at... Uh, so good. At yep. Big Taters. Uh, yeah, he is just amazing. When is Pat Healy going to get his big break, man? <laughs> Seriously, like I see him, everything I see him in, I love him. He's just a great character actor. Have you ever, have you ever seen the movie Cheap Thrills? You know what? I have not. It's like on my list. I have it. I just have never done it. I might have to, that might go on the list. I might have to give that to you because he's the lead in that and he fucking destroys it in that movie. Um, but yeah, he, and he just pulls such great faces. Like watch him, all of his scenes, I'm watching him. He's like, what? Like making these awesome yeah, reaction faces to everything she does. And we talked about Noah Segan before and he's great in this. I mean, yeah. he doesn't have a whole lot to do, but he's, he's good. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Noah Segan's good. It, my random thought with him is, so if I were casting Scaring is sharing the movie, uh, Noah Segan would be on my short list to play me, I think. <laughs> like watching him in this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to put him in. He'd be in consideration. I'd probably have the gay kid from Mean Girls as in the short list to play me. Oh. I can't remember his name, but, yeah, that, that, um, but that, I think I'd have him. Imagine it, Noah Segan <laughs> and that guy. Just, I could hear it. But yeah, this movie is a movie. 
<laughs> it is. Um, I didn't love it as much this go around. I still did like it. I don't feel this. I felt the relationships felt fairly real. And I felt she started to change once she started to want this particular role more. But I felt like prior to that, I felt like not her best friend, Tracy, but all like the other girl in particular, Erin, was like a total cunt. I really mm -hmm. hated her. Um, and I don't know that she, the only redeeming quality she ever had is when she sees her in the kitchen at the end and she's like, oh my God, are you okay? Like that's the first like moment of like tenderness she seems to show at all of like caring. Prior to that, she's so like almost threatened by her that she has to pretend like she's not threatened by her and that she's like so much better than her. And I really, like, I loved her friend, Tracy. Like, I loved that girl so much. Which she played Brittany Murphy in the Brittany Murphy story on Lifetime. I just can't fathom her as Brittany Murphy. So weird. I may have to watch it to, like, see her try weird. to do that. Weird, weird, But yeah, I still liked it. I don't mind the third act. I don't so much like the being reborn aspect. But I like her kind of going crazy and, like, killing all of her, like, asshole friends. But I don't like when she, like, is reborn out of the ground and has these, like like alien lizard eyes and yeah sucks the life out of her her nice friend yeah i didn't understand where they were going with that i think like, she just had to get rid of the people who knew her closest to her to start yeah. her life anew without them being like wait what's going on like you have green eyes now so yeah it, this is why like you know we have tom cruise i'm assuming this is the same origin story <laughs> like they're saying is all these big uh, celebrities went through this yeah I think I think it's based on Tom Cruise. So yeah, it, clearly, unofficially, unofficially. <laughs> so out of how many handfuls of hair, <laughs> how many pulled out handfuls of hair do you give this? You know, this is a movie. I think I gave it on Letterboxd like a three. But the That's more we talking, the more we talked about it, I'm like, I think I'm being generous. Uh, I so I want to give it a two and a half. I'm going to give it a three. I was thinking three and a half, but as we talked about, it, I'm like, nah. Yeah, I think a two and a half is good because it's not like a bad movie. It was well made. There's some nice, there's some nice performances in this. Um, you know, I did read that Alex Esso did Method for this. Oh, uh, I didn't read that. That's interesting. Uh, she did some Method acting in this, and it was like, I just don't like. I don't know. I think that term has become so like you know, besmirched these days. Cause usually yeah. it's just like, usually it's for male actors to act like assholes. Like Jared uh, Leto. That's yeah. What comes to mind. But yeah, the fact that they're like, and she went method and I'm like, why did it help? <laughs> like, did it really help with this movie? But I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to go back to it so I can know my true feelings after there all these go. years. There you go. Um, Two and a half. All right. And a, and a three from you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, good times. Great oldies. It's a good time. That's right. And we're going to be back next week with some more movies. More movies, as always. Keep maybe watching we'll, them, people. Maybe we'll love them that time. I hope. <laughs> I want to, let's get a week where we just both, both love both movies. That's right. Well, next week we have our special guest, which is going to be awesome. We're going to have Lucas on. So please yes. come back. And please write us, scaring us, sharing at Gmail, rate us, review us, you know, send us an email. Um, talk, talk to us, please. Yes, please. Please and, um, keep, keep listening. Thank you for listening. Thank, thank you thank for, you. yes. Thank you for listening. Keep listening. Engage with us on our social media 
platforms. <laughs> uh, tell us how fucking dumb we are with our opinions. Maybe you love Starry Eyes and I'm way off base. Maybe you love Ravenous and Brandy Joe is way off base. <laughs> he might be. Uh, try and convince him. Uh, Nico, that's your job. Get out there. <laughs> he knows better. Nico, who I hear all about, but he'll he'll be on here one day. I think he's a Stephen sure, King sure. Um, expert, so fanatic, fanatic. He's his number one fan. Ooh, creepy, Nico, <laughs> creepy. Well, thanks, Jeremy. It's a good time, and um, I'll see you next hey, week. See you next week, everybody. You know, you little maniacs, keep watching those fucking horror movies. That's right, because scaring is sharing. Peace. Bye. <laughs> Sharing is sharing.